0: Coming up on Golf Today, Big Tony Finau takes a moment out of his title offense prep to visit us from the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Can Tony duplicate that hot summer run from one year ago? And we anchor down as the low am from the U.S. open. Vandy's Gordon Sargent says hello ahead of his exemption into the Rocket Mortgage. Lessons learned in L.A. that can be applied in Detroit. And a legend, Padraig Harrington, joins the show ahead of his title defense at the U.S. Senior Open. But can Patty still win on the PGA Tour with Forever Young on Golf Today?
1: Golf Today.
0: Welcome into Golf Today on a Tuesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week magazine wizard of a rider. And late Monday night PGA Tour officials turned over their agreement with the Saudi Public Investment Fund as part of a review by U.S. Senators Richard Blumenthal and Ron Johnson. Their agreement outlines a long-term strategic partnership between the PGA Tour Public Investment Fund and the DP World Tour. Here are some details of said framework agreement. The for-profit assets of the PGA Tour, DP World Tour and the PIF will be combined into what is tentatively being called NewCo. Jay Monahan will be CEO of NewCo while PIF Governor Yasser al-Rumayan will serve as chairman of the new entity's board of directors. The PGA Tour will at all times maintain a controlling voting interest in NewCo and PIF will continue to hold a non-controlling voting interest. Calls for the creation of a communications committee to help facilitate a smooth business transition. And calls for the parties to cooperate in good faith and use best efforts to secure world ranking recognition for live events and players. And we're joined by Rex Hoggard, senior writer of Golf Channel. Rex, with this breaking news overnight, what have you learned about the details of this framework agreement?
2: Yeah, Damon, as you pointed out, there were a couple of things that we already knew that when this agreement was sort of announced to the world, we knew it would create that for-profit NUCO is what they're calling it. We knew it would create a path back for players who had joined Live Golf to come back to either the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour. And it also put it in to the lawsuits between all three of those organizations. And it did so permanently. You cannot; Those can never be brought back and retry. But a couple of things stood out from last night's, essentially, an announcement. It's a five-page agreement. And when you go through it, you kind of touched on one of them, that the PGA Tour is going to maintain leadership of both NUCO, which again will be all the for-profit assets of the Tour, the DP World Tour, as well as Golf, And it'll also obviously maintain control of its own tax-exempt status, which will not be involved in this agreement whatsoever. It it also stood out to me that it will end all recruitment between all of the organizations, which essentially means that Golf will no longer be recruiting players away from either the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour and probably finally at least from a player perspective I think it brought some clarity to exactly what those for-profit assets are going to look like that's been let's call it the billion dollar question among players really over the last three weeks now in that bucket will be, according to this agreement, contracts and any agreements that the tour has with any, any of its business relationships, as well as equity interest the tour may have in other businesses or entities not included in those for-profit assets. And again, this is particularly important to the players, will be the retirement program. We've talked about this before, that the PGA Tour has one of the best retirement programs in all of professional sports. That is not part of this, as well as any corporate reserves and, of course, the tax-exempt entities.
3: Rex, the, the picture that's drawn of what this future arrangement looked like, it still remains fairly vague. The PGA Tour's Policy Board is meeting at 2 p.m. this afternoon in Detroit. Are you expecting any more details to emerge from that meeting?
2: No, my understanding is today's meeting is essentially the start of the process. This framework agreement has already been approved. This is a done deal. They're not going to go back and keep talking about that. Now they need to start working on what's being called in this agreement as the definitive agreement. That's the details, exactly what new co is going to look like. And it's worth pointing out that there is kind of a soft deadline in this agreement. If you look into the very bottom of it, December 31st of this year, it says if you have not come up with a definitive agreement by that time, that the whole thing can be called off. Now, there is also stipulations in there that if all parties agree that they're moving in the right direction, that deadline can be extended. But certainly you get an idea that the policy board, the PAC, and the PGA Tour officials have a lot of work to do between now and the end of the year.
0: Rex, so many questions still to be answered. Depending on who you talk to, LIV is robust, alive, and well. Others say it's DOA, it is done for. What is the future of Live Golf in this framework agreement?
2: doesn't exactly say. Now, it's important to point out that the PGA Tour will have, quote-unquote, controlling interest in all of NUCO, so that will, of course, include Live Golf, and you don't know how that would land. Is it going to be a separate entity than what the PGA Tour schedule is? Are they going to find a way to meld this two together? I think that's the definitives. That's the details we start working on. Talking with people internally, talking to people on the PGA Tour and on Live Golf, there is a fear that Liv Goff would simply go away, if not after this season, then after next season. In that agreement that we saw last night, however, there is sort of an opening and there is a crack in that door. There is the requirement, and again, this is deep inside that agreement, that the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour would make, quote, best efforts to help Liv Goff get world ranking points. As you know, they applied for world ranking points uh, a little over a year ago right now, and they're going through that process right now. And the idea that that would be part of the agreement at least opens the door to the idea that Live Golf is here to stay, that remains to be seen.
0: Story that's dominated professional golf for nearly two years. Rex, will look for your reporting on golfchannel.com. Thank you so much.
2: Well,
3: to add a little bit of Thanks, extra Dan. legal analysis here, we're going to be joined by Jody Balsam, a professor of sports law at Brooklyn Law School. Jody, this is the agreement that ended the antitrust litigation. I'm, I'm curious if agreements like this are normally so lacking in specifics, and what is actually legally binding in what is out there now?
4: This agreement is highly indefinite and is rare in its use to settle a high stakes litigation. Typically, given the claims lodged against each other by the PGA Tour and Live Golf, you would expect an agreement that hammers out with far more specificity how each is permitted to conduct their business going forward and that imposes financial penalties on the offenders. We have none of that here. What we have is a very skeletal agreement that, offers only a handful of binding commitments, Rex mentioned a few of them, the dismissal of the litigation with prejudice, a ban on recruiting players to rival circuits. There's also a non-disparagement and confidentiality clause that uh, bars the parties from saying anything negative about each other or their controlling owners, their beneficial owners. Uh, But it does not give any specific terms or enforceable terms beyond that. Uh, There's a duty to negotiate in good faith. But again, as Rex mentioned, that duty expires at the end of this year unless mutually extended. Uh, So we have only basically a handshake deal without much uh, in terms of uh, enforceable uh, obligations.
0: Jody, it seems like there are a ton of issues, large and small, yet to be resolved. What are the most critical open issues in your mind?
4: Well, to me, it's the value of the assets that each party will contribute to this partnership and the size of the anticipated cash investment from the PIF. No specific mention was made of that, although the press had banded around numbers in the billions. Uh, There's also the possibility um, that the new arrangement will front PIF and Saudi interests in the sponsorship of the tour. There is a provision that the uh, Saudi parties would be entitled to be a tour title sponsor of either the PGA tour or the DP tour uh, and a title sponsor of a premier event. We may soon see a Saudi telecom uh, players championship uh, on the PGA floor. Um, Other important open issues include what will be the status of the live golf defectors. The parties are obligated to work to establish fair and objective processes for players to reapply for membership at the PGA Tour beginning 2024. What will that look like? Unclear. Other than that, it is supposed to be in the framework agreements terms, consistent with each tour's disciplinary policies. So that could mean fines or suspensions for the European and PGA Tour defectors who want to reapply.
3: Jody, given the lack of specifics in terms of what the future looks like, is there anything in here that would be a red flag for a Department of Justice or for any kind of regulatory oversight? Or does that kind of information come during those kind of hearings?
4: Well, yes. What the Department of Justice and congressional inquiries have already flagged, uh, meaning that there is no guarantee in this agreement to continue operating with law. As Commissioner Monaghan said when announcing this agreement a couple of weeks ago, it takes a competitor off the board, and that is a red flag to an antitrust regulator. And now that we have the agreement in front of us, it also expressly ends, this is the one of the few binding commitments, it expressly ends all recruitment to a rival tour of Uh, current golfers. It's an agreement not to compete in its own terms. Uh, There's also concern that uh, is highlighted by what we now see in the framework agreements provisions that a foreign government is gaining influence, if not control, over an American institution, the PGA Tour, and benefiting from that institution's tax-exempt status. And just say a word about Who's actually going to control NUCO, this new golf entity? The terms of the framework agreement say that PIF is to provide operating funds, potentially in the billions. Um, The PGA Tour is supposedly retaining control, regardless of any future investment by PIF. But that's hard to credit. So when you have a business like the PGA Tour hemorrhaging cash, And then partners with a source of seemingly infinite capital, that source in some way is going to be in charge de facto. Provisions in the framework agreement that say otherwise sound like window dressing to appease regulators and the public.
3: Jody, the one of the clauses in this document, the Saudis were at pains to say that they are not waiving their sovereign immunity by signing this document. In fact, they expressly say that they are reserving their idea of sovereign immunity. Is there significance to that?
4: Well, the significance is that they are making a statement that when they dismissed the lawsuit with prejudice, they have reserved, since they were never resolved um, by the Ninth Circuit, the arguments that they are not subject to the jurisdiction of U.S. courts um, or to the subpoena powers of legislative entities. They need to reserve those arguments to avoid the dis- very disclosures that they were so concerned about in the litigation. So whether or not a court or a legislation a legislator will agree, uh, they Wanted to take steps to ensure that they could continue to make those arguments.
0: Jody, anything that you saw that was revealed uh, in the framework agreement overnight uh, make you think that this could drag on even longer than you previously thought, with so many open questions.
4: Yes, I I um, sorely doubt that the December 2023 deadline for coming to a definitive agreement will be met. Yes, the parties can extend it, and they're likely to, especially if the reason that they can't reach a definitive agreement is that DOJ and congressional investigations have raised doubt about the partnership's legality. What I uh, predict going forward is something of a dance between the regulators and the parties to NUCO to design a uh, venture that will pass muster. Uh, And remember, there's another Party who's not specifically named in this agreement, but who has significant leverage in how the negotiations play out. And that is the current tour players. So we talked about how the agreement requires the parties to contribute their respective assets to NUCO. PGA TOR, like most sports properties, um, has most of its assets in the form of contracts, contracts with athletes, Agreements with business partners, intellectual property rights, trademarks, broadcast rights. Now, traditional sports leagues and their teams also can own significant real estate in the form of stadiums and arenas. But that's not the case with the PGA Tour. Their most material asset to this agreement are the membership contracts with professional golfers. Those contracts are renewed annually Golfers are free to terminate them at will and walk away from the tour, which, of course, is exactly what the golf detectors did. So the golfers here have significant leverage to shape the deal that ultimately emerges here, because without them on board, what assets does the PGA Tour have to contribute?
3: Jodie, is it unfair to say this framework document seemed to be more focused on ending litigation than it was in terms of drawing a picture of what the future was going to look like?
4: That's certainly the case. Uh, Both parties were strongly motivated to end the litigation, the PGA Tour, because it simply couldn't afford to continue it, and the Saudis because they simply couldn't uh, uh, allow a U.S. court to assert jurisdiction and uh, compel the disclosure of what they consider to be state secrets. So in some ways, the framework agreement looks like it is a face-saving measure for both parties to walk away from highly contentious litigation.
0: A face-saving measure and so much still to be determined. Jody, thank you so much. We will speak to you again soon. Eamon, I am fascinated by this because by talking to Jody and Rex, it
3: still feels like there is so much yet to be determined and how this will look. It's a little light on detail and seems a little hasty, right? Yeah. It, to me, it seems like something that's focused more on short-term considerations than it was on on long-term consequences here. But it's very obvious what either side wanted. In terms of the Saudis, it was getting off the legal hook for discovery and to be accepted into the game. For the PGA Tour, it was, again, ending the litigation and getting money. And the problem is, if this deal doesn't happen, the Saudis still get what they wanted. They have been accepted into the game. They have been normalised in Gov. And the PGA Tour doesn't get anything that it wants. It won't have the money. It certainly can't play a moral card anymore. It has no litigation leverage. And they've essentially given the green light to any corporation or player who wants to kick the tires on Liv going forward, because the the agreement does provide for the Saudis to continue running Liv if this future deal doesn't actually happen. So there's really... It's hard to see what the tour... Has gained from this. And to me, the most interesting clause of all is the ninth paragraph of it, which Jody mentioned there, the, the non disparagement clause, which mm. is fairly normal business where you can't disparage any of the parties involved in it. But it does say that you cannot disparage what is referred to as ultimate beneficial owners. That is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So the PGA tour is in effect going from hiding behind 9 11 families to agreeing that they cannot disparage the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and its various abuses, which seems to be an awfully large concession to make.
0: It does. And I'm with you. This feels like that the PJ Tour has much more to lose. It is much more in in a state of jeopardy. How do they make this palatable to the public? How do they make this palatable to the players? And you mentioned it, who who has the control of the purse strings? Follow the money. That, that's a statement we've learned. It was when we were in kids. Yeah, the, who's controlling the money? You know that that's the ultimate winner in this situation. I find the PJ Tour is the party with the most to lose here, and that the PIF is going to be fine
3: whether this new co comes together or not. It's also interesting, as Rex pointed out, this line about the official world golf ranking points, and that the parties will work in good faith to get live those points. Well, it was never within the gift of the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour to deny live world ranking points and it's right. not within their gift to give. Mm, yeah, those all points. of a sudden they're going to speed up. Now they're exactly. going to fast track? There are other parties involved who make that decision. All of the majors are represented on that board. To me this just smells like a document. This is what happens when the room is too small and okay. the number of voices in that room are are very small and they're focused very narrowly on a particular issue rather than long-term consequences. It's to be a larger meeting room today It'll in Detroit. I mean, that's well. going to be fascinating to find out what happens in Detroit a little later this afternoon. It will. Well, coming up, we're actually going to go inside the ropes for a change in this show. The PGA Tour heads to Detroit and the defending champion at the Rocket Mortgage Classic is here to talk about his hopes for a repeat. Big Tony Finau is in the house, coming up next. back on God Today, the PGA Tour has moved to the Motor City this week for the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Live first round coverage comes your way at 3 p.m. Eastern, Thursday right here on God Channel. And here are some of the names notable in the field this week. Keegan Bradley, fresh off his victory at the Travelers Championship. Tony Finau, our defending champion.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick Crispy, so go ahead and
3: hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
4: of a detour.
3: Ricky Fowler riding a hot streak right now. A clutch of major championship winners there with Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Hideki Matsuyama, and Zach Johnson. Let's flash back to last year in big
0: tone. Tony Final round 67 to finish at 26 under par and win the Rocket Mortgage Classic. It was Tony's second victory in seven days. He became the first player to win in back-to-back weeks on the PGA Tour since Brendan Todd did it back in 2019. And great to have Tony with us on this Tuesday. Big Tone, it's great to see. I understand you might have like a bobblehead doll to commemorate the win. Is that true? Is it somewhere nearby?
6: This is true. (laughs) It is right here. My first bobblehead, my doppelganger. I brought him with me just to be on the show with you guys. Thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) Do you like it? Are the specs correct? Is it it true to to what you look like or do they make a few mistakes?
6: (laughs) No, I I actually love it. Um, I'm missing the goal tee this week, so I'm going to have to bring that back. But no, I love it. They did a great job and uh, it's an amazing touch by Rocket Mortgage. So this is really cool.
3: Tony, this, was, this tournament last year was the fourth victory of your career, but because of various scheduling quirks, it's actually the first tournament you've ever defended on-site at the same golf course with the same sponsor. Does it feel different to be back as a defending yeah. champion for the first time?
6: Yeah, there's no question. It feels different, as you mentioned. This is the first time I'm actually defending a tournament at the same course with the same sponsor, so um, it does feel different. It was quite uh, a warm welcome, you know, when I got here this morning, and um, I got presented a bobblehead. I've got uh, they named a menu item after me at the club. I mean, this is it's been quite the quite the champion's welcome. So I'm um, extremely honored to be back, and you know, ready to show out again for the, the 313 fans. A
0: menu item. Is this like a drink? Is it a sandwich? Is it a dessert? Give us some insight.
6: <laughs> yeah, it's a sandwich and uh, coconut water. It comes with coconut water, which is my personal favorite drink. So it's quite an amazing touch. It's called the Finau Fitu, which in Tongan means Finau 7. 7 is my favorite number, and it also is the amount of members I have in my family. I have five kids <laughs> and my wife and I, so... Five plus two is seven. So, Fitu is uh, how you say seven in Tongan. So, I bet you guys didn't know you're going to learn some Tongan on the show this morning, did you?
0: Fitu, I did not know that. That's great insight. My wife loves coconut water. <laughs> I haven't gotten into it, but I might give it a second yeah. look. Buddy, you made uh, some great history last year. You hit 66. 66- of 72 greens in regulation in the throes of winning, you know, Rooney Yin did the same thing at Baltusrol and winning the KPMG. Where does a golfer have to be mentally to be able to play that kind of golf where you only miss six greens for an entire week?
6: Yeah, I think another amazing stat. I only made one bogey. My son continues to remind me about that. But anyways, I, I think, you, yeah, you're definitely in a zone. You know, I remember last year I was coming off a high, winning at the 3M in minnesota and i was able to just ride that right into this uh, this week at detroit last year so um you know i was definitely in the zone you don't really know you're in it until you're out of it so i uh i played some great golf uh here last year and um you know looking to looking to do the same this week
3: you've already had two wins this season tony and a lot of consistent finishes are you happy with how this season is going or do you still demand more of yourself
6: Yeah, I'm happy that I have two wins. Um, I, I'm not as happy that I haven't been as consistent and putting myself in contention as often as I'd like. So I'd like to turn that around this year um, by putting myself in contention this week and, um, and, you know, continue to give myself momentum moving forward um, is, how, is how I'd kind of put this season.
3: As you've become a regular winner on the PGA Tour, your results in the majors haven't quite kept pace with that. Is there any particular reason you think you put too much pressure on yourself on those weeks?
6: Yeah, well, uh, early on, you know, I have finished in the top five in all the major championships, you know, which tells me, you know, I, I'm capable of winning any one of them. Um, in the last couple of years, I haven't had the success that I'm looking for. Um, I'm still trying to figure out the right recipe for me to uh, win a major championship. You know, having not done it yet, it's uh, it's something that I continue to. Trying to figure out what's the best way to put myself in the best state to win um, when it's time to tee it up for major championship weeks. So I haven't quite uh, figured out the recipe, but hopefully I do that soon.
0: Well, you do have two top tens in the open, 2018 and 2019. How do you prepare for Lynx golf when you're playing on the PGA Tour?
6: Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, we don't play Lynx golf on the PGA Tour. <laughs> But I look at it as a, as a fun challenge. You know, Lynx golf is one of my favorite types of golf, maybe my favorite type of golf. I, You know, I only get to do it once, maybe twice a year. And uh, the Open Championship is, is the best example to, and best place to do that and play well. So I'm looking forward to being there um, and competing for the Open Championship this this year. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, you can't really prepare for it until you're there. You just have to try and make sure your game is as sharp as possible. And then uh, when you get there, you know, just do the work required, to put yourself in contention and, and win a golf tournament.
3: Tony, obviously a lot of noise going on outside the ropes these days with the ver- framework agreement between the Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia and the PGA Tour. Is, is that something you're paying any attention to, or do you just have to wait like everyone else until some more details emerge of what this potential future looks like?
6: Yeah, I think it's more that. It's more just waiting and see what's, uh, what's more Uh, just more details to be given to us you know not a lot has been has changed no new details have been given uh, really over the last couple weeks so um, you know we'll continue to be patient and see what the framework looks like and then once we gather all that information you know for me personally once I get the information then I'm able to then hopefully help make a decision um, based on what I feel like is going to be best for the PGA Tour.
0: Tony, we're going to welcome Chase Johnson to the show in just a little bit. He won the John Shippen, the exemption into the Rocket Mortgage. I know you looked up to guys like Tiger and Jordan and Kobe. He says he looks up to you. What does that mean to you to know that there are young players, guys coming behind you that they might want to take home 12 of those bobblehead dolls home this week?
6: Yeah, well, the first thing it means to me is that I'm getting old, because any time that I think about someone that I look up to, they're a lot older than I am. So that's the first thing I think about, um, you know. But in all honesty, it's uh, it's very humbling to hear that now I'm being looked at as someone that uh, uh, kids are looking up to and and, uh, and who he looks up to. It's really quite humbling um, that that's the case. and. Um, I'm excited for him. He's uh, a great player and someone that uh, will get a lot of coverage this week. And I hope he does well, not only this week, but uh, throughout his career. I'm cheering for anyone who tries to make their own way in this game, and um, especially if you're a minority. So, yeah, he's got uh, – he's, he's one of my fans. I'm one of his fans as well.
0: Tony, always great to visit with you. Best of luck on the title defense. Enjoy the menu item and the bobblehead doll, and we'll speak to you again soon.
6: Yeah, we'll do. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on again. All
0: right, big Tony Fina When Golf Today returns, how about one of the great voices of NBC Sports? He does all the biggest events. Mike Tirico will join us to talk about all things golf and the state of the game so far in 2023. Stay tuned for a fun chat. Mike Tirico, the voice of NBC Sports' biggest events, having joined nbc sports in 2016 he handles everything from horse racing the olympics to of course some of the biggest events of the golf season and great to have mike with us on this tuesday now mike you've seen the growth of this event this is year five what kind of impact have you seen not just kind of at the golf course but really in the community of detroit as a whole
5: Yeah, Damon, Damon. good to be with you guys. It's uh, so nice to be back here for the fifth year of the Rocket Mortgage.
4: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to
5: play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World
1: Resort. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go
3: ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
4: of a detour.
5: Uh, you know, this, this tournament is played in the city limits of Detroit, and I think we've seen a lot of growth, not just in the event, but also the awareness of the event has brought about it's uh, been an exciting time it was a little bit of a leap of faith for the rocket mortgage folks and for the pga tour to come into the city not in one of the suburbs and play a, a pga tour event but uh, just knowing the ticket sales are up again this year and the energy and excitement around it there's really been a good connection to have this as a part of the summer schedule on the tour for sure
3: Mike, you notice that the, the tour isn't in the usual leafy suburbs that it is. How how much of a direct impact do you think it makes when the tour does take this platform into environments that aren't necessarily associated with the, the week-to-week visuals that we see on the PGA Tour?
5: Yeah, Eamon, it's a good point. I, I think it does change it uh, a little bit. You know, we're we're so used to the country clubs that are tucked off in the corners of beautiful suburbs and as I said, you know, you may remember from the famous song in the movie, 8 Mile is the city limit of Detroit, so we're south of 7 Mile, we are in the city limits and I think you see when you come to this golf tournament a crowd that looks like the population of the city of Detroit and you don't often see that at PGA Tour events there's more diversity in the crowd here to be very honest than there are at a lot of tour events and if you think back and we've all been lucky to cover the Tiger Generation this quarter century since Tiger came to golf. Uh, plus, and a lot of folks thought it would bring more minorities to the game. What it really has done, it's brought a lot of great athletes, like a Tony Finau, uh, guys who are these, uh, Brooks Kepka, the big strong guys, because golf became cool in the last uh, 20 years or so because of Tiger's impact on it. What we thought we might see were more minorities coming to the game. We haven't. And I think events like this, give an opportunity for young kids in minority communities, in urban communities, a chance to be up close and see some guys that maybe one day they can be like. So I think it shouldn't be lost that this is an important week, an important place for the PGA Tour to stop on this uh, circuit of North America.
0: Mike, I'm glad you brought up Tiger Woods. I started covering golf in 2000, and all I would be asked by buddies and friends and people I'd meet is, what is Tiger Woods like? In the last year and a half, it's been what do you think of this whole Live Golf thing? I'm just curious how much you've been asked that in your travels uh, around the world about this PJ Tour, Live, DP World Tour uh, proposed merger.
5: Yeah, so Eamon wanted to ask me about my golf game, which is bad. (laughs) But I do spend some time at the range. And I've got to tell you, you know, you reach for another golf ball and you see somebody else who you haven't seen it for a while. It's like, hey, great to see you. What do you think of the live thing? What's going to happen? It's the conversation that golf fans are having. You guys know. You've been worn out by it. Uh, We've all been worn out by it. But everybody has a curiosity. And just the discovery in the last 24 hours – of the release of the actual agreement continues the questions. So they're going to fester. They're going to linger through the end of this year, on into next year. What I think we don't know yet is where the plane is going to land and what's it going to look like going forward. Will we have guys playing in some events together? Will we have one tour? Will we have the continue multiple tours? There's a lot to sort. For now, I will say this. The golf week in, week out on your TV has been incredibly compelling. Nick Taylor's Canadian Open is going to resonate with us for a long time. Keegan celebrating in New England, going to resonate with us for a long time. Tony Finow here with his bobblehead, his back-to-back wins last year. The, the golf has been really, really good. And I think that's been important because the noise has been distracting and at times can wear you out but the actual competition, which at the end of the day, that's what we come for as sports fans. The competition's been phenomenal. And I think golf is very lucky that there's been great play to go along with this mountain of conversation and uncertainty.
3: One of the effects of all of that politicking outside the ropes, Mike, is the creation of these designated events on the PGA Tour, one of them last week at Travelers. Rocket Mortgage Classic isn't one of those. Do you have any sense that it's in any way diminished, or is it actually helped because some guys who really need to boost their position for the FedEx Cup playoffs are going to look at an event like the Rocket Mortgage and think, I need to show up there, I need to make some headway here?
5: You nailed it, Amy. I think last week was the last designated event that we have until we get to the playoffs. And you looked at the schedule and you looked at these tournaments and say, will there be. B tournaments and C tournaments. Will there be the majors and the players and the playoffs? And then the designated events and then the notch down. But what's happening is guys need to play well to make sure they're in the top seventy. The shrinking of the playoff pool makes this an important week and makes the other seven or eight weeks down the stretch here very important for players to get into the the postseason. Like, look at Justin Thomas. Outside the top 70. Here's a guy in the prime of a Hall of Fame career. A couple of majors, 15 wins, Ryder and President's Cup accolades. But he still was outside the top 70 going into last week, which is part of the beauty of golf that we all tend to be drawn to, that you've got to prove it year in, year out. So Justin plays well last week. He's inside the top 70. Now he's got to play well the next few times he plays to ensure that he's not sweating it down the stretch. So... Maybe the construct of this schedule as we see it playing out will work for those non-designated events. This is the best field this tournament has had. I'm very honored and proud and great transparency to say I'm involved with the giving board for the foundation for this tournament and the charitable causes. So I've been around it for these five years. This is easily the best field we've had here. And I think it's because guys know, hey, i got to play to make sure I'm inside the top 70 or the top 50 for those playoffs when they matter in about five or six weeks. Mike, the men's uh, final
0: major of the year is at Hoylik. You were on the call in 2014 when Rory got it done. Where do you see him now, having said he'd go through 100 more heartbreaking Sundays to get at that fifth major championship? Because if he does not win next month, we'll be having the conversation that it's been 10 years since his last major championship.
5: And we'll have eight months of that conversation, right? From, uh, Hoy Lake all the way to Augusta <laughs> in April of 2024. Man, he has taken us on a ride, hasn't he? And, uh, it's been really close so often. You know, you almost feel like he's trying to will it to a win. Almost parallels like Ricky Fowler, who's here in the field this week, where you feel like he's this close and everybody's trying to will him over the finish line because of his popularity, and his connection and all that. And they're playing well enough that they are so close. Yeah, you go back to that uh, Hoylake Open, and it, it was a good run for the Open. If you think about it, Darren Clark won, then Ernie Elts won, then Mickelson won in 13, and here's Rory in 14, and he went out, and I think it was a pair of 66s or 65, 66, something like that, to kind of take the lead and go wire to wire, although Ricky Fowler, who we just mentioned, Adam Scott, who was near the top of the rankings, DJ all made a push uh, as the weekend went on. But... Rory McIlroy has the ability to go out and just get the field early and not look back. And I feel like he's getting close to that. So would you bet on him? Absolutely. Because you know there's the game, you know there's the desire, but you also know that since becoming the face of the conversation around the PGA Tour live deal, when he shut that down and kind of got his focus on his game he continues to put himself right in the mix almost every week it's like he's permanently cemented on the first page of every leaderboard for the last two months so the guys who are around it usually are the guys who get it at the end so i would not be surprised to see him uh, walk away with the claret jug in a couple of weeks when we're all over there and i cannot wait to get to golf's oldest and greatest championship
3: you mentioned the charitable component this week mike and obviously you're on the call as well for NBC. So I know it's a busy week for you, but come on, Tariko, when are you going to step up and play the pro-am and put this game on display?
5: Give the people what they want. You know, Eamon, the the people who've been penalized by having to play with me know full well that there's no need to share that with a very small crowd on a pro-am wednesday so uh, unfortunately because of my very busy schedule this week i'm unable uh, to play in the pro-am so i can continue to work at it as i like to say golf is the lifetime experiment and right now my game is in the lab but uh, be careful at some point maybe I'll, I'll have to go out there and put it on display mike don't fall for it i sit next to Eamon
0: every day he's always causing trouble as you know thanks for the time have a great week in detroit mike Welcome back to Golf Today. John Shippen was an African-American golfer who was believed to be the first American-born golf professional as well as the country's first black golf professional. At the age of 16, he became an assistant pro at Shinnecock Hills. He competed in six U.S. Opens, the last coming in 1913. In 2009, the PGA of America bestowed John Shippen with his PGA membership card posthumously, and he is now recognized by the USGA as America's first golf professional earlier this month, Paige Crawford won the John Shippen National Invitational on the women's side. She finished at one over par total for the event. One shot better than the field. And with the win, she received a spot in the Meyer LPGA Classic. And we'll be teeing it up in the Dow Great Lakes Bay Invitational. And Paige Crawford joins us now. Paige, when you won the Shippen, you said on the last putt, it brought you back to your basketball days in high school. What did you mean?
7: Yes, so during basketball practice the team had to make a certain amount of free throws and I loved going last. If we didn't make the certain amount then we had to run and a lot of times it came down to the last person making the last two and I loved being, having that pressure. So it kind of felt that way. I had the pressure of making this putt to win and I was just so happy to win.
3: Paige, your victories this year in the Cognizant Cup and in the shipping Invitational got you invitations onto LPGA Tour events, the Founders' Cup and the Meyer LPGA Classic. You You didn't play as well as you would have wanted, but what did you take from those experiences as you head towards the Dow Great Lakes Invitational as your next start?
7: It was just so amazing. I took a lot from it. Short game is definitely key. You know, on tour they're playing really fast greens. The rough is deep and the greens are firm and I'm a city golf course player so I don't really get to play that often. So I really learned from that and trying to adjust to that. That's definitely key is short game putting and chipping, being in the rough around the greens, learning how to get up and down. Paige, as you become
0: a more familiar face out there and getting to play in these LPJ Tour events, who are some players who have maybe taken an interest in you, you know, taking you under their wing, as it were?
7: Yes, um, Stacy Lewis is one of them. She saw me again at the Mire, and she knew I was playing in the Dow two-player. She is so kind. And I got to play seven holes with the Jutana Garden Sisters. They are so wonderful. They're the nicest people I've met, and it was just cool to play with them and learn from them. I was trying to pick up all I could from them.
3: How do you find the the line page between being kind of awestruck and sucking up all of this knowledge that you can possibly get from these people (laughs) and still remaining comfortable and being focused on the job at hand when you're out there playing?
7: yeah that's it's tough but the more i'm on the tour and like seeing the same girls the easier it is to just be able to focus on my game at first you know when your first lpga event i was definitely awestruck but since i've seen them a few times now it's a lot easier like oh i saw you like a few weeks ago like it's fine um it's you get used to it so it's really nice though to be on tour and i hope that in the future i could be on there full time
0: Paige, you mentioned the importance of the short game. How about the power game? We talk about it a lot in reference to the PGA Tour. How much is the LPGA Tour a power game, or are those old-school qualities of precision and accuracy more important in your mind?
7: That's tough. I think it's the women's side is definitely becoming a power game. I see a lot of girls who can hit it really far. And also the precision, too. You see a mixture, which is really cool, I think. I think you can still win, whether, whether you're a power player or your precision player. I think that's really cool, the cool thing about golf.
0: Well, Paige, it's always great visiting with you. Best of luck at the Dow. We hope to speak to you again soon.
7: Thank you so much.
0: When Golf Today rolls on, we go from page to patty. Patrick Harrington won three major titles on the flat Belly circuit, and he's chasing another one on the senior circuit this week in the U.S. Senior Open. Stay tuned. And Zoe Campos is currently a junior for the UCLA Bruins women's golf team. This past season, she was named a Golf Week All-American, top 10 finalist for the Annika Award. And next week, she will compete in the U.S. Women's Open for the very first time. She finished second in her qualifying round in her hometown at Valencia Country Club. And great to have Zoe with us. On this Tuesday, congratulations on playing in the national championship as a California native and UCLA Bruin to compete at Pebble Beach, of all places. What are you most looking forward to?
8: Um, I'm definitely just looking forward to the experience itself. Obviously, um, having it be my first U.S. Open and just, you know, the years I've try to get in, Um, and this is a year at Pebble Beach. I mean, I think it's awesome.
3: So, for a lot of people, playing Pebble would be the iconic moment of their career, but you've been top five at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. You know what it's like to play iconic golf courses. Does that ease the pressure a little bit in the sense that you've played great golf on great venues before?
8: Um, I don't know about um, easing the pressure, but definitely um, I'm super excited and you know having it be at pebble beach maybe there will be some pressure maybe there won't but um, i definitely won't put any pressure on myself and i'm just there to play my game
0: zoe small greens out at pebble beach i'm just curious what the run up has been like in terms of your practice where has been your focus
8: um definitely a lot of target practice i mean having people told me that there are that pebble does have small greens um I think target practice is super important, especially, you know, you know, having the small greens, you need, you need to really like tune into those small targets too.
3: You won a state title down the road at Poppy Hills, <clears throat> excuse me, Zoe, and you've also won a couple of college events this year. So your confidence has got to be pretty high heading to the Monterey Peninsula.
8: Um, Yeah, definitely. I think my confidence has been the highest it's been ever, you know, since my career of golf and no, I'm super excited, and I think confidence is a big thing, especially going into Pebble.
0: Zoe, so I was reading your bio. I understand two people you've looked up to. Uh, Kobe Bryant is one. Rory McIlroy is another. What have you taken from each person?
8: Um, Definitely from Rory. I mean, I think his confidence and belief in himself is super important, and what I've taken from him is just, you know, how he approaches the game, and I think – he really inspires me of how I want to approach the game, too. And, I mean, Kobe has been such a big impact on so many sports, not just basketball. And I think his motivation and inspiration to really work hard has also made me work hard.
3: What's the goal next week, Chloe? Do, do you have a, a set goal in mind that would represent a good week for you?
8: Um, I mean, the goal is just to play golf and play my game. I'm not really expecting anything. Um, You know, I'm super thrilled to be there just to play the open itself is amazing. And I think for myself, I just really want to stay steady and just focus on, you know, what I can learn from being out there.
0: Zoe, one more quick one for you. Are you going to drive or fly? Like, I grew up in Van Nuys. I used to drive up the 101. Uh, You can stop and look at the water. Like, how are you going to make your way up there? I suggest you take your time.
8: Um, I'm actually going to fly um, on Monday morning, but my parents are going to be driving. So I don't really want to sit in the car for (laughs) about five hours.
2: I
0: hear you. Probably best to fly, get up there and practice. Thanks for the time. Go Bruins. Best of luck. Enjoy the national championship.
8: Thank you so much.
0: I tell you, I mean, I've made that drive countless times. As a kid, as a college kid, first of all, I got married in Santa Barbara. I mean, that California coastline, and, and you know, you're from Northern Ireland, you, you know beautiful
3: coastline. The California coastline is tough to beat. Can I just pay you a tribute, Damon? Because that's the first conversation we've had on this show in almost a year about Pebble Beach, where you didn't mention... Finishing tied second in the Pure Championship. you know it crossed my mind? I almost went there. I almost thought you were going to give her course management advice out there. I almost did an
0: A clap, but I did that a couple of weeks ago out when we were at the, the U.S. Open at the Los Angeles Country Club. I tell you what, she, she has the game. And I love the question that she asked about her experience at the Augusta National
3: Women's Amateur, where she finished in the top five, in the first playing of that wonderful. I thought it event. was interesting also that she said she was working on target practice, and because Pebble's greens are so small, I was reminded of something Jack Nicklaus said to a friend of mine many years ago. Jack argued that Pebble Beach was the easiest golf course to win a major on because the greens were so small. All you had to do was aim for the center of every green, and your worst-case scenario was a twenty, twenty-five footer in any direction mm. for birdie. And that's how the greatest of all time, thought about playing Pebble Beach out there. And clearly, Zoe Campos is on the same wa- mm. wavelength right now in terms of approaching it as a target practice.
0: And the LPGA is on an incredible trajectory of major championships. When you go from Baltusrol to Pebble Beach, I mean, are you kidding me? There's a lot of
3: Jack Nicklaus history in there as well.
0: There is, there is. And that's a buddy's trip itinerary of, of a lifetime
3: as well. Yeah, two opens at Baltus for Jack won at Pebble and an amateur. Yes, no doubt. Next time I'll mention my T2 finish at Pebble. Well, I'm sure you will. <laughs> Keeping with the theme of national championships, the US Senior Open is in Wisconsin this week at Century World in Stevens Point. And after the break, we'll talk with the defending champion, Potter Harrington. Always one of the most interesting interviews in the game.
0: And Padraig Harrington joins us now. Padraig, great to see you. And winning the Dick Sporting Goods again, you mentioned the dream finish, the first time that you ever had one over the final nine holes, five birdies, an eagle, and three pars. What was the key? Was it perfect numbers into greens? Was it the hole looking like a bucket? What was the key?
9: Uh, you know, as I said, I probably played 500 rounds of golf where you're coming down that back nine, things haven't gone well in the front nine, and you're safe to step, you know, stick in there, keep trying, you know. Things will turn, and, and this is the first time that, first time I can remember that I'd actually turned and it meant something. I'm sure I've made five birdies, six birdies coming home and finished 10th and everybody patted me on the back. But to actually make the seven under for six holes and to, to make the difference of you winning, that was special. But I think the key was up to the 10th hole, I probably left four or five shots on the golf course. I had three three puts at that stage. I had a, ba- a couple of bad chips. And on the 11th hole, I made an up and down from 30 yards out of a bunker, holding eight footer, a good putt from eight foot, you know, a confidence putt. And it's probably the first hole of the whole round that I walked off where I got the most out of the hole. And I was feeling pretty good. I was feeling pretty good going to the 12th tee. I was trying to make, you know, I think to myself, make three or four birdies coming home, get a good finish. I wasn't thinking of winning at that stage for sure, because I was playing with Joe Durant, who, who was playing flawless golf. You know, and, and, and oftentimes when you're playing with a player... You watch how the momentum in his round is going and, you know, he played great and the right things were happening. So you, you never suspect that, but, and it didn't for Joe, you know, I, I knew he was going to shoot at least, a, you know, a good, he wasn't going to fall away, put it like that. So I didn't think I could win at that stage, but uh, just never knowing this game, it is a crazy game.
3: Oh, Derek, that's back to back Dick Sporting Goods Open victories. You've won the Open Championship back to back. You're in Wisconsin now. What are the chances of a back to back in the US Senior Open this week?
9: Yeah, well, you know, to be honest, my ball striking has improved over the last, last week compared to the US Open. I got a lot better on the ball striking. So I, I feel pretty good about my game. Uh, where the big issue will be is is mentioned. You know, Winning any tournaments, you know, I, I really found after the U.S. Open, the U.S. Open took a lot out of me. And and I suffered the first day at the, at the Dick Sporting Goods Open. I made a lot of really bad mental errors. Uh, recovered nicely for the weekend. And, and my goal this week is, is more about getting my head in the right place, getting, getting so that I'm fresh when I tee up Thursday. Uh, you know, it's not overdoing things because it, it, winning takes a lot out of you. It, it doesn't matter who you are, the adrenaline coming down that stretch, you uh, You know, whether it's on the Champions Tour or regular tour or or any tournament, winning is the same feeling. You're trying not to mess up in that situation. And it it certainly draws down a lot on on uh, on the mental side. So it's all about recovery now.
3: You've made the cut in all five PGA Tour starts you've made this year, Podrick. You've had a top 10. You've played well at the US Open. You finished in the top 30 there. Do you still believe you can beat the kids if you have a really good week out there?
9: I believe if I, I can beat the kids if I play my game. I don't believe I need a really good week. Now, I know that could sound a bit cocky, but the minute you think you need a good week, it will never turn up. So, you know, in my head, I've got to convince myself that if I play my game, it will be good enough. Uh, it's that old saying, if if you think you need your A game to win, your B game will turn up. If you think your B game is good enough, your A game will always turn up. So mentally, I've got to convince myself If I'm turning up to the Open Championship in in three weeks' time, four weeks' time, I'm going to play my game and see where it finishes. I ain't going to try and turn up and play a version of my game that's, you know, above me. That's just not the way to go about it. it. The only thing you can do is play your own game and see where it it sits at the end of the week. I can't get drawn into thinking I need a lucky week. And and that would have been the difference in me. You know, pre-2007, you know, every time I went to a major was pre- the wing for 2006. Every time I went to a major, I felt like I needed to get lucky to win. From 2006 onwards, I had a good strategy, a good plan, a good preparation. And I knew that if I did my thing, I would be in contention. And, I, and the law of averages in golf, if you get in contention enough, you're going to win some. So I was very confident in what I was doing Two thousand and six, seven, eight. 2006, Uh, Even nine. Uh, I think, as I said, as I got further away, maybe 2011 onwards, you know, new kids came in the block like Rory. And all of a sudden I was looking over my shoulder and worried, was my game good enough? But, you know, the best way to play your best golf is play your own game. Believe it's good enough and see where it finishes at the end of the week.
0: Mentally, you still seem sharp. Physically, though, as well. I remember bugging you in San Antonio on the driving range. You had the track man out there. You were tipping out at 180 ball speed. I was stunned at the power and speed you can still create. How much is that a part of the formula to keep you competitive and where you want to be?
9: It, it's important to be comp- – I need it to be competitive with the young guys. You know, I, as I said, I think the max I've gotten, course, this year is 185. And mentally – I wouldn't be able to compete with the young guys if I thought I was giving something up. Other people wouldn't be like that. So, like, if, if, if I come into the clubhouse afterwards and I hear somebody else reach the par 5, well, if I couldn't reach that par 5, I'd actually... I'd feel inadequate. It would, it would ruin my whole game. And that's not the same for everybody. Honestly, different personalities in golf. And the worst thing you can do if you're a straight hitter, a straight short hitter, the worst thing you can do is try for length. It will ruin your game. But for me... I need that length just to feel like I can beat anybody. I, I, I couldn't handle if I teed up on a, say, a playoff hole and it was a par five and my playing partner could reach and I couldn't reach. And, and I know it only has a limited effect, but it would just psychologically affect me so badly that uh, I need that speed to compete with young guys. That's why I focus on it. It definitely helps. It helps me on the Champions Tour. Uh, big time, no doubt about that. But in the end of the day, when it comes to actually competing... Once you have the speed, it, it's all about your mental game. It's all about you know, your ability to, to trust what you're doing, make good decisions, uh, and not to you know, second-guess yourself.
3: Padraig, you're obviously playing well. You obviously have confidence that comes from playing well, and you have a great deal of experience. Would you be a good Ryder Cup captain's pick this year?
9: Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about that. Uh, I don't think the, the championship should be taken into consideration. That's, that's my only opinion. Uh, you know, I, I know you'll like this, Eamon, but 54 holes with no cut is not the same thing <laughs> as playing uh, a, a 72 hole where you're under pressure. You know, there's a big difference. Uh, like even here this week, I'm playing a championship event, 72 holes. But, I, you know, I'm not going to I'm going to say it. I'm actually saying that I'm not going to miss the cut this week, if you know what I mean. So that, that's and, and and again, against the elevated events, I think that's you have to have a cut in your tournament there's a pressure in making the cut it's, it's a horrible pressure uh, so you know i think you know personally i think 50% of the field should make the cut 40% of the field should get world ranking points that's the way i look at all these things but if i play well enough in regular events to be considered for a pick that's great but the champions tour is a different animal and i know as as captain you know there was players playing well bernard was playing well and things like that it just it's just not the same it's it's lovely out here the champions tour you know it, it really is it's, it's a great place to play you if you, you enjoy the events but like at the us open i probably spent two hours a day in physio trying to keep myself ready for the day you know at the champions tour i play in a cart I, I drive around i enjoy myself so it, it's not the same thing that's all i'd say i, I you know i will have some regular events and, and possibly i will add in uh, some events to make a push for the Ryder Cup team, but on the face of Champions Tour events, no, I, I think they're a separate entity.
0: Well, Patrick, you continue to play well wherever you tee it up these days. Best of luck on your tile defence, and thanks so much for your time.
3: Gordon, thanks for joining us. Going back for a couple of weeks to LACC, tied 39th, low amateur honours, that's a pretty high accolade. Were you happy with that week, or did you expect more from yourself?
10: Yeah, I mean, I was pretty satisfied with the week. I feel like I learned a lot, um, just kind of seeing how the improvements I made after Augusta. And then, um, yeah, but also just like when you're playing a U.S. Open, you're always going to find the weaknesses in your game. Um, so it kind of gave me confidence that I had some good golf in me, and, um, but also just kind of know what you need to work on. And so I was pretty satisfied with the week um, and happy with the result. Um, really excited to be low-am, too.
0: What'd you find? that you needed to work on after that experience
10: yeah i think just limiting the mistakes um i made plenty of birdies that week just kind of got out of position a few too many times and um kind of caught up to me that second or that yeah that second nine on the third round which uh really took me out of it but um no i feel like just limiting the mistakes and and that's where kind of playing with the pros and the practice rounds and all that stuff and seeing what they really do at the highest level um is kind of my biggest takeaway from the week and what I need to work on.
0: Your Sunday in L.A. was notable, not just because how well you played really all week, but also the 18th hole. We had a little fun. We saw the ball bounce out of that little putt, obviously hit the liner. Were you able to reflect on that with a little bit of humor, or, or did it still bother you in the aftermath?
10: I mean, thankfully I was able <laughs> to have some humor with it. Um, my My first day back out at the course, I tried to get the, the ball to bounce out of the hole for a couple for a couple minutes, and it just was not possible. So I'm hoping it never happens again. But, um, yeah, it's funny to think that it's never happened in, in a tournament for me except the last hole of the U.S. Open, um, which is which is, I find humorous, so it's kind of funny. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm glad it happened to me instead of someone else costing them money or something like that. Well, let's hope it never happens on the last hole of a U.S. Open when you're in contention to
3: win one some years down the road in Garden. Yeah. Your, your experience at PGA Tour events has largely been in majors to this point, but you're playing this week, you're playing next week in the John Deere. Is this a subtle change in your competitive focus to try to measure yourself more often against the best players in the world?
10: Yeah, I think just of the advice I've gotten is just kind of get as many reps as you can before you really turn pro so um, yeah playing in two majors as my first two pro events was definitely nerve-wracking and um, kind of lacked a little bit of experience but feel like I have a lot of takeaways and i um, excited to kind of get things going in Detroit and then hopefully take momentum to the John Deere next week.
0: Gordon how does your strategy change going from a venue where 10 under was the winning score at LACC to a venue where 26 under was the winning score by Tony Finau last year?
10: Yeah, I mean, you try and make it simple and just think like <coughs> the goal is kind of get the ball in the holes as uh, few strokes as possible. Um, but yeah, I played the back nine today, and um, I feel like if you're if you want to be aggressive, you can have a lot of wedges in. So um, just kind of understanding where you're going to make your birdies, um, and just trying to limit your mistakes. You're going to have to go out and kind of put up some good numbers. So just kind of getting a little different <laughs> mindset of, Um, Whether you're at the U.S. Open, you're kind of just valuing a par, where here it might be you're trying to be a little bit more aggressive and make some birdies. So um, obviously the goals don't really change for the week. But, yeah, mindset, you might need to be a little bit more aggressive and just know that your misses might not be penalized as much.
3: Under the PGA Tour University accelerated system, Gordon, a top 20 at the U.S. Open would pretty much have secured your PGA Tour card I'm curious if that was on your mind at all and are you particularly eager to get out on tour or are you happy to take your time
10: i'm happy to take my time i definitely was thinking about it a little bit um but at the same time like if i was trying to play good golf that week then a top 20 would come with that so um yeah definitely on my mind and i'd like to lock that up as soon as possible but um no i'm having a good time in college and i uh, feel like i continue to get better there so uh I I wouldn't say there's too much of a rush. Obviously, it would be something nice to have in your back pocket. But, uh, yeah, staying in college golf and getting better is uh, only kind of helping me at this point.
0: Gordon, you are so long off the tee, but I'm curious about how you learn and go about your business. Are you a stats and analytics guy? Are you breaking down round after round, or or is it just tee it up and, and tee it high and let it fly?
10: Um. I mean, a little bit of stats and analytics, kind of understanding where, like, you're really going to be penalized, but also just, like, kind of how you're feeling. Like, if you're feeling well with the driver, I think you just go ahead and send it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I, – I'd prefer to just kind of have driver in my hand when possible. But, uh, yeah, you kind of got to listen to the stats and analytics at some point.
0: Next time I see you, I'm going to bug you for a driving lesson. Gordon, thanks for the time, and enjoy the week in Detroit. <laughs> Welcome back to Golf Today. John Shippen was an African-American golfer who was believed to be the first American-born golf professional as well as the country's first black golf professional. An assistant pro at Shinnecock Hills at age 16, he competed in six U.S. Opens with the last coming in 1913. In 2009, the PGA of America bestowed John Shippen with his PGA membership card posthumously, and he is now recognized by the USGA as America's first golf professional. The John Chippen was established to identify historical barriers and expand upon black representation in the sport of golf and create awareness, access, and opportunities for persons of color in the business of sports. This week, Chase Johnson was the winner of the John Chippen National Invitational and as a result, earns a spot at this week's Rock and Mortgage Classic. And Chase Johnson joins us now. Chase, after clinching your berth into the Rocket Mortgage Classic by winning the John Shippen, you quoted Kobe Bryant saying, job's not finished. He, of course, was in the NBA Finals at that time. What did you mean, job's not finished?
11: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, that's the perfect way to describe this. Uh, The John Shippen gave me a great opportunity, and I had to get job number one done first by winning that and earning my spot into this week. But... Uh, I definitely have much higher goals set now for the end of the week. And, um, I mean, it starts all over again on Thursday. So just looking forward to taking each shot one at a time and uh, chip away at a new uh, a, a new goal. Chase, you got the job done on Sunday. You shot 68,
3: finished at 9 under. You won by 3. During the course of that, did you allow your mind to wander to, to what might lie ahead of the Rocket Mortgage Classic? And how difficult was it to you know, keep yourself within the parameters of the shipping.
11: Um, I, I did a very good job of staying in the moment. Um, I started that, we did 27 holes the first day, and so we finished uh, with nine holes, and at that point it's it's a shootout. And so my goal was just to make as many birdies as I can so that way no one could catch me and not to make any mistakes to allow anyone back into the game. And I was able to get off to a good start birding three of the first five. And I just kept taking one shot at a time and I didn't look at the leaderboard until I was walking down uh, up to number nine green and saw that I had a, a cushion and had done what I needed to do. But yeah, I just stayed in the moment with each shot and didn't worry about uh, anything that could happen this week at the Rocket Mortgage. Just I had to earn that spot and that right first. Well, Chase, you're playing great golf. You had
0: Corn Ferry Tour status in 2020, lost your card at the end of the year, and said you needed to fine-tune some things. What did you fine-tune, and how is it applicable to your game right now?
11: Uh, Absolutely. So first off, uh, I had to get the body right. Um, Luckily, my uh, fiance has her first master's degree in athletic training, and so we were able to diagnose some problems with my body, uh, mainly related to my hips and like my right shoulder area. And we got that stuff fixed and, uh, that opened the way for me to make a repeatable swing all the time and, and learn, uh, what my ball was going to do and be able to make it happen on command. So first I had to get the body right. And then we did a lot of club work, um, with, you know, my Cobra Puma team, like we dialed some things in and I had a completely different set than I had when I was playing on the corn Ferry. And it's made it so much easier to control the ball and just, you know, be able to execute and play boring golf and just give myself birdie chances after birdie chances. In addition to the
3: Corn Ferry Tour, Chase, you've also made a start on the PGA Tour previously. Does that give you any more comfort this week when you find yourself standing on the range next to the best players in the world? 100%.
11: 100%. Uh, I definitely recognize a lot of the guys out here from Corn Ferry and uh, friends with you know my Kent Staters out here between uh, Pendy, Mac, and uh, Corey. Uh, I'm playing with Pendrith later. Um, but, yeah, I definitely uh, will call on that experience from the Memorial and be able to use that to my advantage this week for sure. Chase, you've called Tony Finau
0: someone you look up to he's the defending champ this week how much time mm. will you get to spend with him watch him on the range maybe pick his brain
11: uh absolutely if I, if it works out with his schedule and everything i'd love to have a conversation with tony i remember when he was a junior he was playing at um it was like the pga championship junior pga championship i think in westfield country club when i was like maybe 10 or so and I remember he was out there that week, and ever since then I was a huge fan of his. And just watching his progression, um, you know, through big break and all the mini tours and stuff to become the elite player that he is now, uh, it was really cool to see that route. And and would love to have a conversation with him, and uh, you know, find a way to continue my own route to get out here uh, full time.
0: Well, as you look up to him, maybe there will be some kids looking up to you one day. Chase, congratulations and best of luck this week at the Rocket Mortgage.